The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's on the show today. Cooley will be on the show tomorrow. We'll do some Super Bowl follow-up. Uh, we'll do some Washington football team talk, a Washington commanders talk, excuse me, um, coming up in the next segment. I'm going to start the show, though, Tommy, with something that I did not prepare you for um, because I kind of wanted to see if you remembered this. It's a bit of a bone to pick. Uh, it's kind of inside baseball stuff, inside sports media, inside sports podcast media. Um, but uh, I read something um, before the show started, and it just irked me um, a little bit. Uh, and I will explain why here shortly. But um, do you remember this guy, Jason Barrett, the guy that did these top 20 lists of radio sports talk shows where, you know, they had an early morning, like morning drive, middays, afternoon. And I don't know when he started this thing. It was 10, 15 years ago, something like that. But he ranked all of the sports talk radio shows once a year, had a top 20. Do you remember this? Yes, I do. I absolutely remember it. Well, why do you remember it? Well, because uh, when we did uh, the original Sports Fix, uh, when he would rank midday shows across the country, we were always in the top ten at the very least, uh, sometimes in the top five. Yes, that's true. I don't remember specifically where we ended up, but for a several-year period, when he launched these lists, you and I as a midday show were ranked um, very highly among midday shows in the United States of America. Um, and that's when you and I became familiar with it. Uh, Tony was ranked, Zabe and Andy were ranked, and then all of a sudden, one year, all of the shows on 980 stopped being ranked. Um, and anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to talk about the radio rankings. I told you what they were. I, I want to get to this um, nit that I'm going to pick right now. The bone that I want to pick is that this guy, Jason Barrett, put out a list of the top 20 sports podcasts in America uh, during 2021. Spoiler alert, this podcast is not on the list. I didn't think it would be on the list, um, but what I was curious about, because I did know this list was coming out, I was curious as to whether or not a podcast like mine 
would be considered. I wanted to see what kind of podcasts were ranked in the top 20. And and my suspicion was that they would be mostly the big branded, you know, the network podcasts, the ESPNs, the the bar stools, et cetera. And that's pretty much what it is in the top 20. Um, and I was curious about that because I was wondering if they would take a podcast like mine seriously. My podcast, this podcast, with you on it twice a week and with Cooley occasionally on it and lots of other guests, but you was the most often recurring. Um, I, 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 I wondered whether or not, um, and I don't know if they did or didn't, but I wondered whether or not a podcast like this one, which is a local content, local sports content podcast, would be considered. And the reason that I was curious is because I think it should be considered. Um, because I know that this podcast does pretty well. Um, I'm not going to sit here and break my arm patting myself on the back or patting you on the back, but I know this because, um, look, I mean, I have approached this very much like a business. You know, I was involved in a lot of businesses before I got into broadcasting, and so this podcast has allowed me to go from um, being an employee for a long period of time after not really being one for much of my professional life back to also being an entrepreneur of sorts, you know, small business, cell phone, the whole thing. Um, but I've enjoyed that part of it and I want it to grow and I want it to become something that, you know, I'm able to do with you and everybody else for years to come. And the business of it has been good. I mean, in the world that it's in, it's been very good. Um, but you know, for all of us, it needs to keep growing. And this is the kind of list that if you're on it, maybe it helps. Now, you know, I don't know that it really helps being on the radio list or not um, anymore. I know that radio salespeople don't use, uh, you know, these kinds of lists to sell with anymore. But the point is, you know, for kind of an early stage company, um, which mine is, you know, few years into this podcast business, these kinds of things could help. I, I wasn't expecting to be on it, but I think that what irks me is that I have this sense that it wasn't and that I wasn't um, and this podcast wasn't seriously considered. And the reason it should be um, is that I can tell you right now in looking through this list of the shows that made the top 20, you know, and, you know, obviously there's a criteria used and I would assume that, you know, a lot of the people voting on this assume that these are the shows that have the biggest audiences. Well, a few of them don't have bigger audiences than my show does. And several of them don't have anywhere near the number of positive ratings and reviews and consistent rankings that this show has. And this is what I hear consistently from my sales partner. Um, and my sales partner, just uh, if I don't know if I've mentioned this before, The Athletic is a partner of mine. Now, their primary business is subscription based for print um, for writers. Um, I'm a customer of The Athletic. I think it's totally worth the price. But they also have a bunch of podcasts. And for my podcast, the, the, um, they, they are a partner of mine on the sales end. They sell all of the national ads that you hear on this podcast. Uh, and they take a cut of what they sell. Um, but they are very and have been since day one very bullish about this particular podcast because advertisers, and I've told you this before, which is why the ratings and reviews on Apple in particular help so much 
because they reflect a loyalty, an intense loyalty um, to this podcast that advertisers love. The audience size may not be as big or anywhere near as big as, say, a Barstool audience, um, but for a local content podcast, uh, there isn't any local sports content podcast in America that I know of, or at least this is what I've been told, that generates the combination of audience size and audience loyalty um, and rating like this one, which is why we've been able to create a business around it. And hopefully we can keep building on it, which, you know, I really want to do because I love doing radio. Don't get me wrong. But I actually, as you know, Tommy, I prefer doing this I prefer working with somebody, bottom line. You know, I wish you were with me on radio, but that didn't work out. They thought that, you know, the expense of having another person on that show wasn't um, wasn't necessary. I, that, it's, you know, that's fine. It's the benefit of the podcast, I guess. But um, you know how much I wanted you to, to be a part of the radio show, too. I, I just prefer working with somebody. Look, this isn't going to make or break, you know, the po- podcast by any stretch of the imagination. But I guess I just was, um, you know, I was curious as to whether or not they would take something like this seriously. And I don't think they did, you know, these, they, I think I've mentioned this to you before, but there's like a billboard charts for podcasts, like rankings rate, you know, that come out each week, not rankings, but charts that follow, you know, the hottest podcasts in in different categories. And this show is consistently ranked on Apple in the sports category, in the football category, very highly. Uh, I think we were in the top 10 last week or close to the top 10 um, on Apple. Um, And I think that was a result of 2-2-22, but we're consistently ranked higher than almost any kind of local sports content podcast in the country um, on these charts. So I don't know. I, I, I did send because I know I know this guy and I sent him a text and I just said, I'm curious, was my show even among those considered? I have not heard back from him yet. Um, and maybe it wasn't. Really? Yeah, because it says here a total of 72 podcasts were presented for voting consideration in the original sports podcast category. So maybe they just had the big branded um, big network podcasts i mean hell my radio so show you're being, you're being punished you're being punished for not being some kind of corporate entity yes i think i am i mean yeah i'm just looking at the well i don't know that for sure there is a um i've ne- there are a couple of shows on here i've never heard of before and maybe they're great i don't know so i'm not going to comment but i know that there are okay there's so- there are solid five to six shows here that I'm not going to share with anybody. It's proprietary information, and my and my p- partner, my selling partner, would not want me sharing the actual numbers. It's a competitive thing um, for sure, but I know what my numbers are, and I know how they stack up against people that we're selling against. And some of these shows, um, I would bet one of my sons that uh, this podcast's numbers – the podcast's ratings and reviews, the rankings are just better than. But I don't think that they, in putting this list together, maybe would have considered that to be a possibility or maybe even looked into that as a possibility. This is an important part. Okay. Does, does he know that you do the show with me twice a week? <laughs> Why, does he not like you? 
Well, that could no, that could be a deal breaker. Why? Well, I would think that would put us over the top. Oh yeah, well, uh, you're you're, you're saying. Wondering if, oh, you're if, saying it would if, be a positive. If, I th- I thought you were actually being self-aware there for a I, moment. Why would your first move? <laughs> It would be a negative. I thought you were being self-aware there for just a moment and realizing that the oh polarization uh, figure, the polarizing figure <laughs> on this podcast, could be problematic. No, I um, uh, look. One of the real pleasures um, has been recently. Uh, just reading some of the ratings and reviews. And I know it gets annoying when I ask all the time for you to rate us and review us on Apple and Spotify, but it's really important for us um, when that happens. We have, uh, you know, thousands of ratings and reviews, but we have 10 times the number of ratings and reviews we, we've gotten in actual listeners to the podcast, which means that there are a lot of you, most of you haven't rated and review it, reviewed it. So if you can, it's great. And reading some of those ratings and reviews, the, the reviews in particular, are really, they're incredibly nice. They're so complimentary, um, and uh, it's, it's great because I kind of feel like um, it's... Uh, it's, I should be reading them to you probably uh, more often because uh, you would get a boost out of it. There's some negative ones in here, too. <laughs> there are certainly some su- there's some suggestions in some of the reviews. But, uh, hey, we're big boys. I mean, trust me. We have seen and read and heard from a lot of you over the years. We're used to it. Um, but anyway, uh, I-, I just, like, I don't know if this list and being on it would have helped but I know that if they took the actual response, both in terms of volume and in terms of sort of the, the um, loyalty to the show, uh, the enjoyment of the show, then I would have been in here in front of probably five shows, six shows minimum. And I bet you that there are, another, there are probably 100 shows out there that could say the same thing. But then again, okay. Well, this is what you got to. This is what you have to do. I'm, I, and I used to talk about this for sports talk radio. Yeah. And I know I was right, and you would never listen to me. Oh God! We social have to media. create. A, we have to create an association called the DC Sports Podcast Association, a nonprofit organization that recognizes sports podcasts in the in the DMV. And then we give each other awards. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> give, we give uh, I, each I, other I, awards. I don't and remember. Out, and we put out a press release. Oh, yeah. You know, this is brilliant. This that, is brilliant. That, that, that the Kevin Sheehan Show was named the number one podcast in D.C. by the so-and-so you know, podcast, you know, sports podcast association oh, my. with some quotes from you what? and stuff. And then we send it to this guy, Jason Barrett, and he says, wow, look at this. I better start paying attention to you guys. They're winning awards. This is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for one of you listeners out there to create an association, a nonprofit association out there of D.C. podcasts. Of course, you have to rank ours, number one, that goes without well, saying. Well, we're going to have to. I used to say all the time, we used to start a D.C. sports Talk Radio Hall of Fame and induct oh, ourselves. I remember into that the idea. Hall of Fame. I remember yes, that idea. Yes. yes. 
Yes. Well, you had already kind of done that in your own office. You had already created a shrine to yourself <laughs> as if you had already been elected to the Hall of Fame. Um, that's pretty funny. Uh, you know, the, the interesting thing is the, these lists, when they come out in years past, like the radio PDs, the pro- program directors would say, this is bullshit. Nobody uses this to sell with. It's not important. It's all driven by the biggest radio companies. They're the ones that are voting. It's, you know, nobody's sitting there and listening to all of these shows or whatever. Um, and, and that's true. But I know in kind of what I would call an early stage business, which is what this is. It's not a startup anymore. Two and a half years later. Um, right? whatever it is. Um, uh, it's, it's an early stage business. I know that all of these things are helpful. Like we, we've done, I mean, I'm, I'll just tell you, we're, we're approaching now, um, eight figures in terms of downloads since the podcast podcast began. And so there are people that want me to do a press release about that because they think it's an unbelievable number of downloads since we began this thing. Now that's, you know, two and a half years later, but I can tell you, I mean, somebody, obviously you guys are going to do the math and figure it out, but, um, the bottom line is it's, it's done really well and I'm thrilled about it. And it put it this way, if it hadn't been doing well, it would have been long gone a long time ago. So it's done well enough for us to continue to come in here and plug away. But if it's ever going to be, Tommy, like the thing, which I hope it is one day, um, it's just got to keep growing. And the way, and so little things like this, when you're in in an early stage company, you kind of feel it a little bit as a slight, but it's not so much that I think it was intentional at all. I just don't think that they think that a podcast that is mostly local content driven could be in that same category. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's incumbent, I think, upon myself to make sure that he and the people that vote on this thing actually understand that a locally driven sports podcast not only can do the numbers and generate the interest, um, but is. Uh, but you well, know, what's your PR firm doing about this? I know I've got to consult with them. They they really did a poor job yeah. on this one. They did a poor job. Yeah. On this one. By the way, I'm noticing for the first time, like Tony's show's not in the top twenty. That's a joke. Oh my god. I mean, I know how many. People download Tony's podcast, and it dwarfs what some of these podcasts do. That is absurd. And it's Unless ridiculous. They don't it, it's, look, it's, it's Tony's, Tony's is still a sports podcast, isn't it? Yeah. I will guarantee you, guarantee you, that Tony Kornheiser's podcast does so many more downloads and has a much more loyal following than not only than half the podcasts on this list, probably three fourths of them. I, 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 there's no chance that it's not. I know the, I do know that the Barstool podcasts do very well, and I know that the Bill Simmons does well. Um, but anyway, yeah, that, what a joke that Tony's not on this top twenty list. Okay, that is. Uh, what do you think of the Super Bowl? 
Ah, it was all right. That's it. What do you think? It was all right. I mean, it was. It was. It wasn't a a horrible Super Bowl, but I mean, compared to what we had been treated to in a division playoffs and a conference championship, there was nothing particularly memorable about it except the game was close. That's you nailed it. Uh, it, it but it wasn't close because of any particular, you know, dramatic buildup. You know, it almost caught you by surprise that it was close. And uh, I just was just not much of a game to me. I think you just nailed uh, it. I think you just nailed the reason why. So I, on the show yesterday, said I really thought it was a good Super Bowl. Like, I thought it was, you know, on a scale of, you know, 1 to 10, I thought it was a 7 or an 8. I thought it was a really good game. I, I, I did. I mean... But I understand, you know, and I got a lot of pushback from people. A lot of people said, man, you, you were high on that Super Bowl. Well, I didn't say it was the greatest Super Bowl ever played. Um, I just said I thought it was a good Super Bowl game. It was a 7 or an 8. Uh, you know, it wasn't the uh, it wasn't the Eagles-Patriots. It wasn't the, the Patriots-Falcons from, you know, a few years back. That's for sure. But um, it was a dramatic Super Bowl at the end. Um, I had somebody um, email me uh, via the website and say, it was just kind of one drive and then a very anticlimactic ending because Cincinnati didn't get the tying field goal. But I think you nailed it. I think if we hadn't seen what we saw for two straight weekends, which was just an incredible stretch of football games, the divisional round we saw, you know, the 1916 uh, Bengals walk-off field goal against the Titans, the 49ers shocker at Lambeau, um, the Rams, uh, you know, Stafford hitting cup deep and having the walk-off field goal to finish Brady, and then maybe one of the greatest games ever played in the postseason, the Chiefs-Bills. Then championship weekend, we had the Bengals come back in an overtime game uh, and a field goal there to win it. The Rams rallying from 10 down in the fourth quarter uh, to, to beat the uh, 49ers at the end, 20-17. to 17. And so we got to the Super Bowl, and we had seen six incredible games in a row. If we had seen like wild card weekend remember how bad those games were if we'd seen oh, a bunch yeah. of blowouts Absolutely. with maybe one or two good games i think our reaction would have been that was a hell of a game but i think we were comparing it to what we had just witnessed in the previous 3 weeks i think there's something to that well there was there was nothing particularly memorable about the game and i wrote in my column in the washington times you can find it on my twitter account Tom Lavero and, and my Facebook page, and you can find it at WashingtonTimes.com slash sports, that the NFL needed a memorable Super Bowl for people to be talking about on Monday. Because right away, I mean, they didn't even get a couple of hours after the game, and Ian Rappaport has a big story about how Stephen Ross could have the, t- the Dolphins taken away from him. <laughs> this is three hours after the game ended. Yeah, You know, they didn't have... They didn't even get a trip to Disney World. They, they, they needed a Super Bowl that at least for a day people were, you know, talking about, you know, this play, that play. What a great game. I don't think they got that. You don't, I mean, you you know, don't think the Aaron Donald? Monday, it was back to the – no, I don't think so. It, it, you know, for, in, the, in the beginning of the game, they were handling Aaron Donald. It's not like he dominated the whole game. <laughs> well, they were doubling him on every thing. They, 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 well, Cincinnati well, they, couldn't whatever, do it. Whatever yeah. their plan was, they were handling him. Uh, you know? I, I don't now, know. He, bro- he broke through on that. 
and was uh, was a dominant force on that. But they needed something for, to stop people for at least one day talking about racism and sexual harassment, and they didn't get it. Okay, you know what we're going to do for one day, or at least for another segment, is we're not going to talk about sexual harassment or congressional <laughs> hearings or Stephen Ross. I, I want to finish up, though, on, on this. I think the Aaron Donald thing, I disagree with you. I think the, the, the drive by Stafford, um, which I'll uh, add something to here momentarily, and then the Aaron Donald stopping a third and one and a fourth and one um, is is a memorable ending to a Super Bowl. I think I think it is. I think it was. Uh, you know, Tommy, Aaron Donald is. We we've talked about it a lot. I understand over over the years, but you and I love going down the path of talking about you know how he and certain guys rank historically. Aaron Donald's one of the greatest defensive players of all time. One of the greatest defensive players of all time. Now, I'm not going to put him ahead in my lifetime of watching NFL football. I'm not going to put him ahead of LT. I'm probably not going to put him ahead of Reggie White. Okay? Um, But Aaron Donald is an unbelievable player. And he had an unbelievable Super Bowl, especially in an incredible second half, which the Rams had an incredible second half defensively. Von Miller was unblockable as well. They sacked this dude six times and a half and hit him another four or five times. And then on third and one and fourth and one, Aaron Donald literally said, "Uh uh-uh, game over. And I, I didn't love the play call. Um, I don't. I didn't like giving the ball to Samaj P. Ryan on third and one. I didn't like a straight drop back no, when the they play call was terrible. Play yeah. call. Um, but Aaron Donald should have been at the very least a co MVP with Cooper Cup of that game. And can you name the only time you had co MVPs in the Super Bowl? I should. You know, I should be able to. Come on, but, you can do it. Uh, Dallas no, Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys. No. It wasn't the year that uh, Chuck Howie was named MVP. <laughs> that, that, that's a good call. He was the only player to ever win the MVP award on a losing team. As a loser. Yes, which right. was Super Bowl five against the Colts, 16-13 Colts, and Chuck Howie, the linebacker for the Cowboys, won um, the Most Valuable Player Award. No, um, it, was, it, was a, it, it was a pair of Cowboys, though. Okay, it was uh, Harvey Martin. Yep, and 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 uh, and Randy White. Very good, Harvey Martin, Randy White, co MVPs okay. from the, the, the against the Broncos, right? Uh, against Denver. Yep. Yeah. Good, good job. Okay. Yeah. So I, I okay. Did were you thinking who's going to get the MVP at the end of the game and thought it was very debatable in your own mind? Yeah, I did. I thought it was debatable. Between, I, I, I'm not outraged that that Cooper Cup won it. Between you know, Donald if and Aaron Cup. Donald had won it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That was it. Because you didn't consider Stafford for it. No. Me neither. And by the way, no. he capped off a playoff run where he had three, you know, clutch game-winning drives. You know, at the end of the game with the season on the line. Um, I, I think I think it could have been both of them, um, but I, I think that I think it was more memorable. I think I'm going to remember Aaron Donald. But what, 
Do, do you think you, I don't think I've been sleeping on this, although I, I'm going to tell you right now, he's not in LT, he's not LT, okay? He's not Reggie White. Um, thinking about other, the, like the greatest defensive players of my lifetime. Um, I mean, I, I'm thinking more about defensive linemen and linebackers, but if I were to think about DBs, obviously, you know, Deion Sanders is in the conversation, you know, Ronnie Lott's in the conversation. In my mind's eye, Ken Houston is in the conversation. But Aaron Donald is, you know, in, in an era of, the, of only thinking about quarterbacks can be the best players in the game, Aaron Donald's as close to being the best player in the game. I mean, I guess you would say Mahomes and Rodgers, you know, and Josh Allen because they'd be more valuable to your team. But I don't know that Aaron Donald isn't a better all-around player. You haven't Here's given this a debate, lot of thought. I would debate. Well, I, I would. I would not debate Aaron Donald among the greatest defensive players of all time because I don't think he is uh, among the top three or four. Okay, my debate would be who's the greatest defensive tackles of all time. Reggie White. And is he the greatest? De- is he the greatest defensive tackle of all time? Who, who's the greatest defensive tackle of all time? Alan Page. Ooh, that's a good one. That's that's a Alan good one. Alan Page was voted MVP in the league when he played defensive tackle. He changed the game. Uh, no other lineman has ever come close. So Aaron Donald may may wind up winning, uh, you know, uh, the MVP the uh, MVP award. Uh, who knows? But uh, I mean, to me, it's Alan Page who, who weighed all two hundred twenty pounds. You know, uh, I mean, I, I, on that list, I don't know where Aaron Donald fits in. Joe Green and Bob Lilly Ooh, from my era, good early ones. 70s era. Good, you know, that's, you, the defensive tackle is a much more debatable and tough list. I agree. And I think a more fair list. I agree. And Aaron Donald fits in there, but I don't know where, you know? Oh, um. Yeah, I I would right, wait, 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 wait a minute, Randy, Randy White, Randy White exactly, 10. exactly. It Randy yes. Randy White's yes. got to be on that list. Yes, he has to be absolutely. I mean, that's a great list. The greatest defensive tackles. You know who the go-to on this is? Is Gil Brandt. So I want to see if he's created a list of the greatest defensive tackles. Well, he's got Bob. He's got Bob Lilly. He's gonna he's gonna go Cowboys. I looked at his list. Oh, you did? He's got Bob Lilly as number one. Yeah. Uh, He's got Bob Lilly. And I'm not going to argue with that. A lot of people think Bob Lilly is the greatest defensive tackle of of all time. Uh, And uh, he has Mean Joe Green, number two. Merlin Olsen is number three. Randy White is number four. Yeah. I just pulled it up. When did he do this Warren list? Because it's number five. When did he do this list? Because if Aaron Donald's not on it, then it was kind of because some of these lists that Gil Brand have did are old lists. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not seeing a date. Yeah. Uh, at the top, you know, usually I'm not seeing a date. Uh, he's got Warren Sapp pretty high, as many people do. Many people have Warren Sapp high on their list. You know. I don't know. I I think that. I think people, and what I would say is people, older people that think of the players that you just mentioned, um, don't realize the greatness of Aaron Donald to this generation of hardcore football fans that really love 
defense. You know, he's now a Super Bowl champion. He's the th- he's the th- he's a three time. Um, def, you know, NFL Defensive Player of the Year, about to become four, I would guess, right? Has that award been given out? I don't know if it has or not. Um, he's a seven-time... I think T.J. Watt has already won it. Uh, that's right. T.J. Watt did win it. And you know what? T.J. Watt deserved yeah. it. He deserved it. Um, but he's a three-time Defensive yeah. Player of the Year. He's a seven-time first-team All-Pro. Seven-time first-team All-Pro. He's an eight-time Pro Bowler. Um, he's on the All-Decade Team of the 2010s. Uh, yeah, um, a hell of a player and a hell of an ending to the Super Bowl. So I wanted to yeah. mention okay. a, a couple of other quick things about the Super Bowl um, that I may not have emphasized yesterday because I was doing the show with, uh, without somebody. Uh, Chris Collinsworth at the end of the Super Bowl made the comment that that was the greatest drive in Super Bowl history. And I made the comment either on the podcast or the radio show, and somebody said, man, you really have it out for Collinsworth, and I don't. I don't have it out for Collinsworth. I'm not a big fan of that particular pairing anymore, and I used to be. I used to be a massive Al Michaels fan. I think Al Michaels has lost his fastball a little bit. I still think he's good, um, but that pairing grates on me, uh, and it's because of Collinsworth, even though I do think some of his analysis is fine. First of all, you know, the reliance on NBC using pro football focus numbers is because Collinsworth owns pro football focus, you know, and the fact that he is so beholden to those numbers as if they're gospel and nothing else matters uh, bothers me because it means he's been sucked into this thing where it's not just a tool, it's what it is. Um, no, it's a tool. Uh, and, um, and there are lots of other things, but it's his hyperbolic statements, you know, that he makes every week during the course of the season where he just goes over the top. I mean, Collinsworth, come on, man. Okay, th- that was not the greatest drive in Super Bowl history. Tom barely even remembered it two days later. You dope? Come on. I mean, we had Montana getting in the huddle uh, down 16-13 to the same team, the Bengals, and telling everybody to look over into the stands because John Candy was sitting there. And then he t- proceeded to march him down the field 80 yards and throw a touchdown pass to John Taylor. How about Eli's drive with the, with the touchdown throw to Plaxico Burris to pull off one of the greatest upsets in Super Bowl history? How about, like, Brady a couple of times? No. It was also a drive, let's not forget, that ended with penalties galore. It was a good drive, and Matt Stafford is re- Matt Stafford's really good. He's what I've always felt he was, which is a really good quarterback. It's not the. It's nowhere near the greatest drive in Super Bowl history. You got to stop that. He's got to stop that. Apparently, they're coming I, I, back as a pairing. I agree. You agree I, I, with look, me on I, Collinsworth, I, or just? I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Look, I like Collinsworth, and I think Al Michael is the best all-around play-by-play guy we've ever seen. Really? Okay. And I still like him. Yeah, yeah, all around, every sport, baseball. He used to do baseball. He used to do Monday Night Baseball yep. with Cosell. Boxing. I mean, he has the greatest call in the history of sports. You know, do you believe in miracles? Yep. You know, so, so uh, I think I'm a Michael's, Michael's fan is, too. is at the top. And, and I like Collinsworth, but I have a soft spot for Collinsworth when, when, as a player. You know, I, I hate what happens when, when a player goes into their second career, broadcasting, front office, whatever, and their, and their legacy, what they accomplished as a player, is forgotten. Collinsworth was, for eight years, 
one of the top receivers in the league. He was a four-time All-Pro. He was a good. He, 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 he was a good player. He was a good player. Played yeah, with two really he, good he quarterbacks a, and, too. And, and, yeah, and he was a, he's a smart guy. He, he became a lawyer. He got his law degree. Right. You also have a lot of respect for him. But you're 100 percent right. You can't just throw out that kind of comment. I mean, that that's a big big matzo ball out there. There's been a, there's been some. You got to go back. You have to have the sense of knowing what the other drives were before you can make that statement. Yeah. That's he, ridiculous. He does that a lot. It's kind of become his thing to say, you know, it's it's like he got he's gotten caught he he's been caught up into the I'm here, I'm calling this game, this is the greatest ever. It's the most recent and it's the greatest ever. No, no, it's insulting to to longtime football fans with some, you know, historical knowledge of the Super Bowl and of the game, you know, to say that because it really wasn't. I mean, first of all, they got bailed out on a third and goal at the eight with a, with a bad call, a very ticky-tack call on the hold on cup. Um, and so, uh, anyway, so that was one thing. The second thing is, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but since you didn't really love the game, maybe you haven't been reading any of the follow-up to the game. I'll tell you what, people are ready to throw Matt Stafford into the Hall of Fame after Sunday. <laughs> Have you been listening to some of that? I, I, I saw people arguing that if you're going to put Eli in the Hall of Fame, you've got to put Matt Stafford in the Hall of Fame. That was my discussion this morning. Um, it's a very interesting conversation, actually. You know, um, Matt Stafford is the better all-around statistical quarterback in the regular season. And, you know, he's had Matt Stafford. You know, Brendan, my, my uh, radio producer this morning, said – because this is uh, this is a conversation that's right up your alley and mine. Just kind of the Hall of Fame and the players that have been going into the Hall of Fame and all of these sports. Look, you're a Hall of Fame voter for baseball. But I do think like when we talk about Eli Manning and we have talked about him and I've said before, I think he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. But I think it's very debatable as to whether or not he deserves it or not. Um, because Eli Manning, as Brendan, my radio producer, put it this morning, at what point was like he ever a top five quarterback in any year? And I, by the way, that's arbitrary in terms of the number. Okay, that's very arbitrary. Plus, I mean, look, you can't ignore, especially in football championships. You may not think it's fair, but you can't ignore championships. Well, then why, part of then the why isn't why isn't Jim Plunkett in the Hall of Fame? Because his Jim Plunkett's uh, regular season numbers do not come close to Eli Manning's. That's true. Eli Manning's numbers are respectable, <laughs> even good. You know, they're not great, but I think he's in the top ten in touchdown pa- career touchdown passes okay. right now. I think he's in the top ten in yards, for, you know, right now. Okay, so his, you know, his his regular season statistics are much better than Plunkett's were. Yes. And he has two Super Bowl rings. I have no problem with Eli Manning uh, going in the Hall of Fame. Okay. But, Mike, where I was going with this is that I thought it was, I don't know if it's top five or whatever, but at at no point during Eli's career did we ever talk about Eli in the same way we currently, let's go with the elite quarterbacks of the day, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson in recent years, 
At no point. There may have been a year or two, because I remember Eli was always a topic when he was playing. You know, Eli was a topic. By the way, Joe Flacco was always a topic. You know, Kirk Cousins is always a topic. Maybe it's just my show. Um, But anyway, Eli Manning, for most people, was never at any point like a quarterback that was you'd you'd utter his name in the same way you'd talk about Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes right now. Never. What, did I know he, that. Did he win two Super Bowls? But, did he play but, incredibly well yeah. in two postseasons? It was just two because in the other postseasons, he actually didn't play well at all. In every other postseason he was in, he lost in the first game. He had two magical runs and, by the way, played very well with very good defensive teams and you know pulled off the upset of the 2007 Patriots, the 17-0 and 2007 Patriots, with an incredible drive and a touchdown pass to Burris you know, with, with little time left, 40 seconds or whatever left uh, okay. in the game, and he Man- had a great run. Man- Manning is ninth all-time in passing yardage yeah. in the NFL. Uh, okay, so he's in the, he's ahead of John Elway, different era in terms of of acquiring passing yards. Uh, in terms of uh, touchdowns, he is okay. I got the wrong thing there. Anyway, but but, but, but and, and Matt Stafford is twelfth, by the way. Yeah, I so know he's going to pass you like I know that, but the, but point. these yardage numbers, Tommy, are era driven too. Okay, so I I, I wouldn't I, I think I think there's got to be a less a more subjective portion of this. I, I know that numbers probably have a, a part of it, but the numbers of this era of quarterback don't compare to the quarterback we were just talking about, Jim Plunkett, and certainly don't with know. you know with like a Ken Stabler before he got into the Hall of Fame for crying out loud. You and I watched Stabler. We know how great he was. He was. Definitely, year in and year out, one of the top three to five quarterbacks in the game. What I'm saying is Eli Manning and Matt Stafford, neither one of them has ever been in the conversation of like the top three to five quarterbacks in the NFL. Matt Stafford has made a career, and by the way, I'm a big Matt Stafford fan, as most of you know. He's made a career of being called a guy that's a really good quarterback somewhere around 10, you know, 8 to 12, maybe, you know, a spot lower, a spot higher, but never an elite quarterback. Eli Manning was never referred to as an elite quarterback. And all I'm saying to you is, you know, you come up with your own criteria to, to, to put him in or put him out is that it's kind of the way I want to start thinking about these things when we talk about Hall of Fame because the numbers are – I mean, it's ridiculous to compare Eli Manning's numbers to, I mean, Jim Kelly. Jim Kelly who played in an era, Tommy, of, of being the team, the passing team in the league is 29th now all-time in yards. 29th on the list. Now, I know he had some USFL years before he got to the NFL. Um, what is, uh, look, there's no, where's Dan, where's Dan Fouts on the all time list? Where's Fouts? Because that's a better example. A super long career, but in a totally different era. I bet he's not even in the top 20 anymore. In in yardage. uh, My ultimate comparison, comparison 18th. Fouts is is 18th. My ultimate comparison for this is Paul Warfield. He played 13 years in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, he caught 427 passes. Right. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, but well, anyone who ever saw Paul Wallsfield play or played against him or played with him will tell you he's one of the top two or three receivers to ever play pro football. You know? But there's no formula to, to, to equate the different the, the rule changes. There's no, there's, no, there's no objective number. There's no way to be able to do it. It's always going to be a hodgepodge of what did you see, what, you know, anecdotal. It's always going to be anecdotal compared to the latest numbers. There's no way around that. Until somebody comes up with a specific mathematical formula that, that equates the passing numbers of today to the passing numbers of Joe Montana, you're never going to be able to really fairly compare them other than what you've seen and what you hear. Eli Manning didn't make one all-pro team his entire career, first or second team. Well, look, Rigo didn't make – Rigo only made one <laughs> pro Bowl. I know. It's a pot. It's yeah. a, fair, fair enough. You know. Yeah. Um, but I'll, all, all I'm saying is that if you go by something, you know, this would be kind of your, you, you put whatever number, you know, you want on it. Top three, top five, whatever. But you need to understand that if Eli Manning or Matt Stafford end up in the Hall of Fame, and by the way, Matt Stafford's career is not over. And let me just be clear on this. Matt right. Stafford is not a Hall of Famer in my mind's eye now. It doesn't mean that this time next year, if they make another run and they win another Super Bowl, um, remember Eli Manning, by the way, not only won two Super Bowls, he was tremendous during the postseason and won two Super Bowl MVPs. Matt Stafford did not win the MVP on Sunday. His receiver did. But Stafford was huge in their playoff run. I mean, three game-winning drives in three consecutive weeks for three three-point victories in the postseason. But all I am saying is that if Eli Manning goes into the Hall of Fame or if Matt Stafford were actually to go into the Hall of Fame off of this year, you could say very comfortably Neither one of them at any point during their career was a top five quarterback in the league. And so if you're comfortable putting that that person into the Hall of Fame, understand you're doing it, but they were never among the top five at their position in the game in any year. And I think I think Matt Stafford needs more than one championship to get in that conversation. Well, his numbers are a lot better than 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 Manning's numbers and will be when he's done. They'll 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 crush Eli's. Well, they Not won't crush. A, they won't crush Eli's numbers, but they'll be. Look, he's had. How do you have his numbers up? How many five thousand yard seasons does Matt Stafford have throwing it versus Eli? Okay. Um, I I, I, would, I don't have it. I would me. bet you. And Brendan looked this up. It's so. Uh, but I'm and I'm kind of forgetting what he said. But basically, Matt Stafford's been in the top five of some of the bigger and more important statistical categories or traditional statistical categories more often than he. I liked. know, but that. But, By the but way, I like to break it down. He played. He played for teams that were usually behind in the games. So we had the opportunity to uh, acquire that yard yardage. Yep. Look, you know, one of the things you could look at with Stafford, and I'm because I'm looking at him right now, and I'm going to pull it up for Eli because I think it's you know similar with Eli. Eli really was a clutch quarterback for a, a se- several years in a row. Stafford has been incredible. Here it is. Okay, fourth quarter comeback. Stafford's never had a five had one five thousand yard season. Stafford did. Uh, that's right, just one, but he was pretty close um, this year and in one yes, other year. Yeah, very, very close. Yeah, to, uh, to two three other of years. Them. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, Stafford has 34 fourth-quarter comebacks in his career and 42 game-winning drives. If you are a fan of Pro Football Reference, and I would urge you if you're not familiar with Pro Football Reference to actually use it if you're a big football fan. There's just so much good information. Fourth-quarter comeback um, is comebacks led by a quarterback must be an offensive scoring drive in the fourth quarter with the team trailing by one score, though not necessarily a drive to take the lead. Only games ending in a win or tie are included. You know, it's funny about that fourth quarter comeback. There are lots of quarter uh, quarterbacks that have lots of fourth quarter comebacks where their teams, where they led their teams to what could have been game-winning drives with less than a minute to go, only to have the defense give it up. Stafford's got 34 of those game-winning drives are offensive scoring drives in the fourth quarter or overtime that puts the winning team ahead for the last time. Um, He's got 42 of those. That's a lot. Eli has 27 and 37. They were both... You know, they've both been clutch quarterbacks. They've 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 been able to deliver with the game on the line. And certainly Eli's two postseasons and the fact that he beat Belichick and Brady twice, you know, is a big feather in his cap. Huge. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I agree. Uh we've got more stuff right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Uh, Tommy, a couple of other things that I wanted to mention to you real quickly. You know, Sean McVay, um, you know, we, we knew this before the Super Bowl, but we didn't talk about it. Sean McVay became 
um, the 11th NFL coach in history to go to a Super Bowl with a with a different quarterback, other than you know, with more than one quarterback. We know the um, uh, coaches that have gone with three, and only one has won with three, and that's Gibbs. Shula the went. Champ. I'm sorry. Uh, Joe Gibbs, the champ of them all. He's the champ of them all. Three different quarterbacks, three Super Bowls. Three Super Bowl wins. Parcells went to three with three different quarterbacks, but only won two of them. And Shula went to the Super Bowl with four different quarterbacks over two teams, by the way, um, but only won uh, Super Bowls with Greasy um, and uh, lost with Morrill, Marino, and Woodley. God, remember David Woodley was the starting quarterback uh, against that I was know. the LSU quarterback, by the way, Tommy. That I uh, the trivia question that I didn't give you the answer to because I was going to use it in the, in the radio trivia contest um, on Sunday. Uh-huh. Burrow became the second LSU quarterback to ever start a Super Bowl. David Woodley was the other one, and then Matt Stafford became the second Georgia quarterback to start a Super Bowl. Fran Tarkington was the first one, but anyway, McVay joins the list of eleven coaches to go to the Super Bowl with two different quarterbacks. He went with Goff and Stafford. That list, by the way, includes um, Bud Grant, uh, George Seifert, who did it with Montana and Young, Shula, Gibbs, Parcells. Holmgren, by the way, um, also went with two and won with two. Brett Favre, um, I'm sorry, went just went with two, did not win with two, didn't win with Hasselbeck. Um, Vermeil, right. John Fox, Dan Reeves, and Andy Reid. That's the list of the coaches that have gone to the Super Bowl with more than one quarterback. And again, Seifert, Shula, Gibbs, Parcells, and Holmgren are the um, – uh, I'm sorry, Seifert, Shula, Gibbs, and Parcells are the only – no, what am I talking about here? Whatever. Gibbs is the only one to win with three different quarterbacks. Shula yeah. and Parcells are the only uh, other coaches to have gone to the Super Bowl with three different quarterbacks. They just didn't win all three of them. Man, you know what? In looking at this list, because um, I, I saw this uh, on Sunday night, I, I, I think Don Shula is the greatest coach of all time. And I, I've, I always felt that when I was watching fo- football over you know my lifetime – I just always felt Shula was the best coach. And I want to say that it was Gibbs, obviously. And Gibbs is you know, on the very short list of the greatest coaches. But, my God, Listen, did Don Shula win everywhere Shula, and with everybody? Shula lost three out of four Super Bowls with Hall of Fame quarterbacks. He lost with Marino. He lost with um, – uh, he lost a Super Bowl with Greasy. He lost a Super Bowl with Marino. But the one that he lost with the Colts was with, with uh, Earl Merle. Yeah, but Unitas was on the bench, and he left them there until the fourth quarter. I know, but wasn't it because he was United hurt for most played. of the year? No, he, yeah, but he could have played. Well, he did, and he didn't play well when he came but, in. No, he didn't. Actually, he drove them down the field. It was their only score. Oh, it was their only score? That was the Jets' Super Bowl, Super yeah. Bowl three. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what are you saying yeah. about Don Shula? I'm just saying, I mean, I don't think he's the greatest coach. Actually, I think Belichick's the, the greatest coach. Belichick's the greatest coach. Belichick's the greatest coach. I think that's it. And then Lombardi's number two. So. Shula, though, went consistently deep into the playoffs and to the playoffs, um, you know, and went with David Woodley he got to the Super Bowl with. 
That's all you need to know yeah, is that he got that, to a Super amazing. Bowl with David Woodley. Um, okay. You guys were lucky. You guys were lucky you didn't get my Jets in that Super Richard Bowl, Todd. buddy. Yes, you guys were lucky. Freeman McNeil, Wesley Walker, the sack exchange. You know you were lucky. You know the famous you know the story about that AFC championship game in the Orange Bowl that year, right? Oh yeah, how they watered down the field. I mean, oh there was rain. There was rain, they didn't put the tarp uh, on. Right? They didn't put the tarp on the field they didn't on put purpose. The tarp on, that's it. Yeah. And yeah. A, and it became a quagmire yeah. of a mud bowl and the Dolphins won, I think, fourteen to nothing. I don't think the Jets yeah. scored. It was that. a terrible game. Yeah. It was a terrible game. That was one of my face painting green games. Where I literally painted my face green to watch it on TV at home. <laughs> no, you didn't. You really didn't. Yes, I did. You really oh, yes, did. Yes, I did. You painted your face green. I was jet watching it green. with a bunch of my friends. Uh huh. There were a bunch of my friends there. You know, it wasn't just me, but yeah, I did. I painted my face green to watch a game on TV. Oh, that is a shocker. We 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 should we should really do the segment we've always talked about doing, which is tell me something that I'm going to tell you something that you don't know about me because that should have been number one on your list. You painted your face jet green before the '82 AFC Championship game. Oh yes, boy! Yes, I did. Yes, I how, did. How hammered did you get? Me? Uh, well, I was home. Uh, I didn't really get hammered. I don't remember getting hammered. You should have. Pounded down the beer. It's embarrassing. Um, okay. I know. Um, There's I a bit get of to? news, Kevin. Uh-oh. What? What's There's the news? There's a bit of news. What? What's the news? Well, uh, a statement from the House Oversight and Reform Committee. Oh, God. I thought we were going to not do this uh, You tonight. know, 11... Oh, well, we got it. You want to do our news? I guess. You know? How I are guess. you going to be a top... How are you going to be a top 20 podcast... If you don't pay attention to the news. Go ahead. Okay? Yeah. The uh, committee released this statement. 1159 Monday was the deadline for the NFL to turn over the documents related to the Beth Wilkinson investigation to the committee. Here's the statement. Quote, the committee has received additional documents from the NFL, which we are currently reviewing. We have been clear that the NFL must stop hiding the results of the Wilkinson investigation and fully comply with the committee's requests, or the committee will have no choice but to take further action. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what's in those documents yet. Uh, so that's that's what's going on. They did they did submit some documents last night. It was the league that submitted them. The league that submitted them. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, so we'll see what happens. You know, I wanted to um, really mention uh, one other uh, kind of Super Bowl note here. So Sean McVay put out there late last week that he might retire. And as you were, you know, looking up news and then I was trying to chase the news that you were about to talk about on Twitter, something popped up on Twitter about Sean McVay hasn't made a decision yet. It would shock me if Sean McVay retires, first of all. Um, But here's a real interesting development If Sean McVay were to retire, Kevin O'Connell, who is already committed to taking the job with the Minnesota Vikings, but may not have yet signed a contract, would obviously be the successor to Sean McVay. I guess Raheem Morris could be. You know, 
I, Raheem Morris, by the way, everybody loves, and maybe Raheem Morris would get that job. But I just think it's interesting that we could be, if Sean McVay were to retire, we could have one of those situations where a coach committed but didn't sign a contract and then backs out. Because the L.A. job's a better job than the Minnesota job. <laughs> and he's in L.A. And he, it's his team. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. and and if I were the Vikings, just as a recommendation, if they don't, if something were to happen there, I would then Raheem Morris should be the hire. Raheem Morris, everybody has said all along, needs another chance to be a head coach. He apparently is as beloved as any coach in the league. And when he got his opportunity, he was super young, you know, with Tampa. Um. But I do think that th- this could be an interesting thing just to follow. I don't know. Maybe by the time you listen to this, you know, it's already Boy, Kevin how'd O'Connell. Like to be, how'd you like to be an NFL coach next season and have Sean McVay, Sean, Sean McVay and Sean Payton out there hanging out with no job? <laughs> yeah. How'd you like to be an NFL coach with those guys out there just walking the street? How'd you like to be a quarterback <laughs> on kind of a, uh, oh wait, here it is. Schefter just tweeted, Vikings are planning to introduce Kevin O'Connell as their next head coach on Thursday per league sources. Interesting that Schefter had to put that out there because I bet you people were wondering about whether or not Sean McVay was going to retire and then O'Connell was going to have to back out. Um by the way, the Super Bowl uh, ratings are in, at least according to Schefter, uh, 112.3 million people was the average most watched show of any kind in five years. Wow. That's a lot of people. Not surprising. Not surprising. Yeah, 11, by the way, Tommy, 101.1 million on television. I'm sorry, television audience was 92 million the um stream was 11.2 million and then there was another well if if it was 92 that would put it at 103 that would put it 9 million short where did the other 9 million come from like a spanish broadcast wouldn't they have just counted that as the i don't know i mean they may have come up with a formula to count the uh I don't know, bars. Oh, my fault, my fault, my fault. Hold on, my fault. Uh, um, The total audience was 112.3 million people. 11.2 million streamed it. So basically 10% streamed the game. That's that's geez, and that's probably very under, and that's probably under under reported too. Well, yeah, how many people streamed it illegally? Yeah, on Reddit. Plus, uh, yeah, you know what's interesting. The NFL, the Bengals wanted to hold a watch party in their stadium for the Super Bowl. The Bengals wouldn't let them do it. I mean, the NFL wouldn't let them do it. Ooh, I didn't know that. Because, because they <laughs> wanted those eyes on, on, on their TV screen. Sure. They didn't want them sitting in 50,000 people sitting in a stadium in a town where the, super, where the ratings are going to be through the roof. Right. They, 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 they wanted them at home watching it on TV. So. All right, I have a question for you. Um, do you trust Ron Rivera, Marty Herney, Martin Mayhew, all of the Washington brass to get it right on the quarterback in this offseason? No. 
Why? Because well, they haven't done anything to indicate in their track record that they would. I mean, Cam Newton was a no-brainer mm-hmm. in my mind. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, they don't have a particular any track record that would indicate to me that they would get it right. Um, okay. I, I think um, – so I'll give you my answer to this. I trust in this offseason – that Ron Rivera and company, and let's just say Ron Rivera because he is in this coach-centric system, he is the final decision guy, Um, that I trust that they are really going to go after a quarterback in a major aggressive way. I would say that they went after a quarterback last year aggressively. I think a first and a third, and then you know the Albert Breer story also painted you know uh, the picture that they upped that offer, um, but they were never going to win that offer because Brad Holmes and Detroit had you know drafted been a part of the group that Jeff drafted Jared Goff, and they wanted to do what, you know uh, they wanted to do Matt Stafford a solid after all of those years in Detroit and trade him to a place where he wanted to go. So Sean McVay not only had the better offer, but it's also where Stafford wanted to go, and it was just more appealing for Detroit. So Washington, though, was aggressive, because if you if you really compare it apples to apples, the reason that it was two firsts, a second, and Jared Goff, the second of the first-round picks for Stafford was really partly because they were going to have to take Jared Goff's contract back. So that's why they got the extra first. So really it was ultimately, if Goff weren't a part of the deal, it was a first and second for Stafford. Washington offered a first and a third. And then according to Albert Breer, up their offer. They were in it. If you believe all the reports, Carolina, Washington, and Detroit, and really Carolina and Washington for a while, were the ones that were in it. So I think they were aggressive last year. I trust that they are going to be aggressive again. By the way, they were aggressive in the trade market. Um, they weren't aggressive in the draft because they took a draft that, by all accounts, was a much better quarterback draft than this upcoming draft, and they didn't get a quarterback. They could have been aggressive and traded up and drafted Justin Fields or Mac Jones or Trey Lance or whatever, but they didn't do that. But I do trust that they're going to be aggressive. Number two, I do trust that they're a competent evaluating group. I do. I don't think they're the best. Just like I don't think it's the best coaching staff, but I think it's competent. And I think that most agents and players will recognize it as being competent. You know, the organization they won't recognize as being competent. They'll recognize it, and certainly the agents will, as being highly dysfunctional. But I think Ron Rivera and Mayhew and Herney and Del Rio and, you know, even Scott Turner to a much lesser degree, I think they're they're well-respected in football circles. I don't think anybody's going to say you can't go there and play for them. Um, uh, so I, I trust that they're going to be aggressive and I trust that they're competent enough to make the pitch and, and kind of present themselves as an option for some of these quarterbacks. What I'm not, um, what I'm not confident in is that they're going to be able to pull it off because, I don't think it's going to be totally within their control. Like when we start thinking about this, I don't think Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson, I don't think they're leaving. I don't know what the situation is with Deshaun Watson. I don't think Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson will will get traded. Um, I think if they do too, the AFC will be the first target for Seattle and Green Bay respectively. 
Um, and then you're talking about Jimmy G and, you know, Trubisky and maybe Kyler Murray. But, man, there is some smoke off of Kyler Murray right now. There is some signals coming from some beware signals. And, and the first beware sign would be if they actually decided to trade him, as far as I'm concerned. Really? You picked him t- two years ago. Three years ago is the number one pick, and you're going to trade him before the end of his rookie contract? Well, that scares me. Um, Remember, there were some bizarre questions about him I know. leading up to the draft. The Dan Patrick interview. He had some very erratic behavior. Yeah. yeah. The Dan Patrick interview, the baseball versus football, lots of stories about Kyler Murray, but whatever. To me, the bottom line is if the Cardinals were willing to move on from him in a trade before the end of his rookie deal, then I would really wonder. And it wouldn't be that I would wonder why the the Cardinals are incompetent with Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury, because I wouldn't consider anybody to be like, we're getting rid of a really good quarterback before the end of his rookie deal because we just think it's good business. No, there would be something there that they know that most people don't. Maybe some of what's being reported is true. So back to the question. Um, uh, I, uh, I trust them to go after it in a big way. I trust that they can present themselves well and present an aggressive offer and put themselves in a position to potentially get one of these quarterbacks if they become available. Um, the draft is a slightly different story. You know, they got to evaluate it right, and the only quarterbacks that they've evaluated and, and picked are Cam Newton and, and Matt Stafford, number one overall. Martin Mayhew picked Matt Stafford in Detroit, and obviously Ron um, and Marty picked Cam Newton in Carolina. Uh, let me amend uh, Let me amend it. I mean, you pretty much said this, and I should have been more specific. I think you're right that they're very capable of making the right decision. I don't know if they have the if if they have the ability to make the right decision. And I don't mean their personal ability. I mean their abilities to do their jobs in that building. That's the caveat on every single thing. You know, so uh do I trust them? I don't I don't trust the process. So I can't trust them. Let me talk you out of that one and talk you into this one. I disagree with you on that point right now in this moment. Things can change, and by the way, I understand the disclaimer. I understand the Surgeon General's warning, okay? I do. But I think right now, Ron has the final say over football personnel. I believe that. Now, I do think this offseason's a little bit strange um, compared to last year or the year before because of the new name and the new branding and the fact that they have no fans that are buying tickets and that the owner would love, you know, if he's even thinking about this right now to make a big splash. But I'm going to disagree with you and I'm going to say that the football people are going to be able to make football decisions. I think what is at issue here is part of the out of their control like Aaron Rodgers not being traded or only being traded to an AFC team or not wanting to come here or Russell Wilson, same thing. And now you're into the other quarterbacks is that there are players and agents out there that will say, yeah, Ron's a great guy, Jack. And I I like Scott a lot. They've got some good personnel. They've got a lot of salary cap space. You know, they've got a good young foundation in different spots. It's a decent roster. You could really elevate it. This could be a place where in this division you could really, you know, contend. However, Uh, Do you know who owns the team? And do you know what they deal with there on a daily basis? Every single week. 
there is a good chance you are going to be asked about something that has nothing to do with you and nothing to do with what you did on the field because it will have to do with something the owner just did or did in the past. And so I would suggest to you that that would be more of the problem than Dan getting in the middle of it and screwing it up. Now, once you acquire that player, if it's a star player, that's when I would start to be really concerned. Because we've seen what a star effort this owner is. And how he just oddly likes to become best buddies with 28-year-olds, you know, who are star yeah. football players. And then that ends up, you know, or younger and, and older. You know, I mean, if Ryan Fitzpatrick had lit it up this year, he'd be the owner's best buddy, just like Alex Smith became the owner's best buddy there for a brief period of time. So I, um, that part I, I, I would, you know, I would wonder about if they ended up landing a Russell Wilson or, you know. <laughs> By the way, if it were Deshaun Watson, that would be one where the owner would have to stay away from him, wouldn't he? You would think so. It'd be hard for him to do, though. That would be so hard for him to do. He, he's not capable of that. Right. What did you think of Julie Donaldson in front of the 22 jersey at the Super Bowl? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is unbelievable. <laughs> They're using the jersey of the of the guy who was just involved, charged with involuntary manslaughter. Yeah, but you know that they they were I mean, using it because it was the year twenty twenty two. So for those that didn't see I it, know. there's a picture on their Twitter account, on their website, whatever, of Julie last week in L.A. Uh, posing for pictures in a brand new Commanders twenty uh, jersey number twenty two, which is DeShazer Everett's number. Um. Yes. I do not think, by the way, they she, they did this on purpose to troll people about DeShazer Everett and the poor woman no, that was killed. No, of course no, not. No. Of course not. But the no, point no, is, no. is they're, that they don't have anybody. More, well, they're, no, I'd say they could put their Walter Payton Man of the Year out there, Jonathan Allen, but they were still running away from his Hitler comments. <laughs> I love John. Um, I... I, I, I'm, we're not suggesting that they would do that intentionally, uh, clearly. But the fact that there wasn't somebody there that just said, "Hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa!" Before you, before you do this, I know that your intention is to say, "Hey, it's 2022. It's a new day." But you do know that that's DeShazer Everett's jersey number, and most yeah. fans, when they look at this. They don't think the year 22. They're going to think about what player, uh, you know, what, well, that's DeShazer Everett's jersey. Yeah, not a good idea. Um, and, of course, the feedback yeah. on Twitter was just, I mean, typical of anything that they put out and, and, and fuck up. Um, again, not intentionally. But, again, they don't have anybody there that can tell them this is a bad idea and this is the reason why. Um, okay. No, they don't. I got one thing to finish up the show with. It's about Coach K. We'll do okay. it right after these words from a few of our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Uh, this segment of the show is brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.com or MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC, and they'll double your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. We are a month away from March Madness, guys, and uh, there's nothing more fun than betting March Madness. Uh, they'll have all of the games and all of the prop bets before the tournament starts. Um, but you've got plenty of college basketball between now and then. Uh, mybookie.ag, mybookie.com. Use my promo code KevinDC. And again, if there's something already written in the section where there's a promo code, erase it and put KevinDC, and they'll give you free money when you sign up. Ma- uh, a match dollar for dollar, all the way up to a thousand bucks. So I saw this story right before the podcast, uh, before we started to record the podcast. I think it's an interesting story. Um, there's a book coming out, The Rise and Reign of Mike Shashevsky. It's written by Ian O'Connor. Um, who did Ian write for for years? ESPN and others write for years. Oh, he, wrote, he wrote for ESPN. Uh, I think he wrote for the Daily News, New York Daily News. Uh, he did a Belichick book not long ago. So um, uh, very, very good sports writer. So, um, you know, in the uh, anticipation of this book debuting, you're going to see, right, Tommy, this is part of the strategy, some, some you know, some tidbits coming out uh, about the book and some big uh, t- uh, stories, big reveals about what's in the book so you can go read uh, even more. And this was a big one. Officials at Duke wanted to hire former Blue Devils star Tommy Amaker to replace Mike Shashevsky after he retires this year. But the coach wanted current associate head coach John Shire to take the job, according to this new book uh, written by Ian O'Connor. Um, the, the book, you know, for those of you that don't know, John Shire was a player for Duke, all right, in the, uh, in the, early, in the, in the late aughts. Um, and was a good player, and he's been with uh, Kay since. And when he announced that this was going to be his final year, there's a lot of discussion about who the head coach, who was going to get the good job, and Amaker was certainly one of those names, and it went to John Shire. Um, you know, Amaker, Tommy Amaker's a local. You know, he grew up in Reston, Virginia, went to Duke, was on um, Coach Kay's first really good teams um, from 1983 through 87, was on his first Final Four team. You know, with Danny Ferry and and uh, and 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 that group, Mark Allery, et cetera, um, Johnny Dawkins, um, et cetera. Um, so Amaker and Shire 
Um, Amaker was an assistant at Duke for nine years, but left initially for a job at Seton Hall. He was 31, went on to coach at Michigan, and then has been the coach at Harvard since 2007. Okay, uh, Tommy Amaker's been at Harvard since 2007. Shire's been an assistant coach at Duke since 2013 and was promoted to associate head coach after the 2018 season. In the book, O'Connor writes that Krzyzewski asked Shire about the possibility of following him the day he told his assistant coaches of his decision to retire. Shire said he would love to have the job. Duke administrators, including Deputy Director of Athletics John Jackson and three others, ran a search to replace Coach K. During it, O'Connor writes in the book, it became very clear that University President Vincent Price wanted Amaker to get the job. Sources told O'Connor that eventually Krzyzewski called Amaker in what the book describes as a very difficult conversation with his former assistant who had gone from Duke Uh, who had been gone from Duke for 25 years. During it, he told Amaker that if he came back, he'd have to be an assistant for a year, bumping another assistant off the bench, and that it would create an awkward dynamic with Shire. Mike had to explain to Tommy why he couldn't be the guy. And this is one Duke source in the book saying, he can be Don Corleone when he needs to be. Eventually, Amaker decided not to take the job. Someone close to him, O'Connor Wright, said he was heartbroken not to get the job. Shire was eventually announced as the successor. Um, Krzyzewski and Amaker, by the way, do not comment for this book. Um, There are other stories uh, that have been revealed about the book, which will be uh, coming out at the end of this month. But, um, you know, basically the, the reporting, and there's additional reporting on this, from uh, from the story beyond the story I was reading on ESPN.com, which says that basically Shire at 34 versus Amaker at 56 years old is someone that Mike can control. Like he's going to continue. You know what he is? He's Coach Thompson. Once he leaves, this is all of these <laughs> calls are going to be his calls until he's gone. Well, if you were Coach K, would you think that's such a bad thing? I, I'm not saying if it's a bad thing or not. I I, I always found it so um, I, I always found it so interesting how basically George, anything that happened with Georgetown basketball, even though he had been gone for 20 years or whatever, essentially it had to run through Big John. You know, um, I mean, literally, Big John got rid of his own son for basically you know an adopted one in Patrick. I wonder if he were alive right now, what the situation would be with Georgetown at 0-13. I mean, would he rehire JT3 and tell Patrick it's time to go? I think Georgetown's finally going to go outside of the family with their next hire. That's my guess. I, I don't know for sure. But uh, no, I don't. I don't. Get, I don't hold it against him. Didn't wouldn't have a lot of you know say um, after he left. Um, but. You know, Tommy Amaker has been a head coach for years. John Shire's never been a head coach. So picking John Shire at, you know, is a bit of an indication that Shashevsky can kind of control him a little bit more. You know, he can call him at halftime and say, you got to go to the zone in the second half. You're getting killed in the man-to-man. And I'll bet most Duke fans are partic- are, are just happy with that system. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Um, 
He uh, he was described by by one source. He's the ultimate orchestrator, Mike Shashevsky is. He wakes up in the morning trying to figure out ways to stay ahead of you. Sometimes Coach K has to eat his young, and Tommy Amaker just got eaten. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, anything anything else? I got nothing else for you today, boss. We're done. Cooley will be with me tomorrow. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.